Our reading this morning is from Luke 19, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. Luke 19, 28 to 44. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks Fiona. Well, Saturday the, the 6th of May is going to be quite an occasion in the UK. Uh, if you don't know already, uh, it's the day that's set for the king's coronation. I know he's already kind of king, technically, but that will be the day whenever he is actually crowned King Charles. Uh, I'm not sure whether you really care for the monarchy or not. Um, it seems like they've lost a fair bit of interest and love in these last few years through scandals and family feuds and all that. But regardless of that, Coronation Day will be a big day. It will be a day that goes down in history. Uh, a day that the world, no doubt, will be watching. Uh, and perhaps a question that people are asking or that they have been asking since King Charles became king is what kind of king will he be? What kind of king do the British people want him to be? Now again, maybe you're one of those people who, who couldn't care less. At Coronation Day, really the only thing uh, that, that you feel is a benefit in that is that you get a bank holiday on the Monday, which is nice, another one in May. Uh, the king, maybe to you, is this kind of nothing figure, uh, distant, um, no kind of direct influence or involvement in your life. It seems like Throughout the years, that's kind of what's happened to the British monarchy. They've kind of become a little bit more distant um, in the power and the influence that they have. Um, but I think what, what we did see whenever the Queen died 
Uh, and this kind of outpouring of grief and love at that time, it, it, what we saw was that there are still plenty of people who care. There are still plenty of people who, who see the, the kind of the royal family as those figures in society, people to, to kind of look up to, uh, people to respect and, and revere. I think when we consider just leaders in general, whether that's prime ministers or political leaders, kings and queens, whatever it is, we do want good leaders. We do care what leadership is like. We want leaders who we can trust, who are credible, who humbly serve the needs of the people. We, we maybe want leaders who, who bring stability and prosperity to their nation. And so when we think of having someone as king, as a leader, maybe that's the kind of king that we want. That, that, that's the, the picture that we have in our mind of, of the ideal king. As we come to our, our passage here in Luke chapter 19 on this Palm Sunday morning, there's a sense that the people here are getting ready for Coronation Day. They're getting ready to crown their king. Because as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, he is treated the way you would treat a king back then. But here's the thing. The kind of king that he has come to be it is not the kind of king the people think he will be. Or the kind of king that the people even want him to be. See, they want a king and have been waiting for a king who will liberate them from Roman oppression and restore the nation of Israel to its superpower status among the nations of the world. But Jesus isn't a king who's come to do that. He isn't a king who's come to liberate the people from Rome, but to liberate them from their sin and from death. He hasn't come to restore Israel to its place of prosperity in the world, but to restore his covenant people to right relationship with the living God. They don't realize that, that Jesus' crowning moment as he comes into Jerusalem, it won't be a coronation, but a crucifixion. The king they want is not the king Jesus has come to be. And I suppose the question for us, as we come to this potentially familiar passage this morning, as we start this journey through Holy Week towards the cross, the question for us is this. Do we see what kind of king Jesus has come to be? And is the kind of king Jesus is the kind of king we want in life? The kind of king that we recognize that we need in life. Now, the, the geography of this passage in Luke 19 is really important. If you look with me at verses 28 and 29, you'll see that Luke is very deliberate in showing us where Jesus is on his journey. Verse 28, Jesus has been teaching the people about those who reject his claim to be the king. And it says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. You see, from chapter 9 onwards, in Luke's gospel, Jesus repeatedly tells his disciples that he is heading towards Jerusalem. And more than that, he repeatedly tells them that when he gets there to the city of Jerusalem, he'll be betrayed and mocked. He'll suffer and die. He keeps repeating that message to them. Luke 9, Luke, 9, Luke 13, Luke 18. He doesn't just say what's going to happen. He, he says that this is actually what's meant to happen. Three times in the passage, do you see that phrase, as he drew near? Verse 28, verse 37, 
verse 41. Each time Luke says that, it's kind of a marker reminding us that, that Jesus is journeying towards Jerusalem. And as that journey nears its completion, we learn something about Jesus, something about the crowds who welcome him, and about the nation to which he has come. Here's the first thing. First thing we learn about, about King Jesus is this. He is a king who is sovereign. He's sovereign. He's a king who is in charge. Look with me at verse 29. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Now, I know it sounds like Jesus is sending his disciples into this village to, to steal a donkey, but it wasn't uncommon in those days for animals to be kept by, uh, for travelers to actually rent and to hire to use. And so this isn't out of the ordinary. But what is so striking is what we read in verse 32. Because the disciples go and it says they find everything was just as he had told them it would be. Everything is the way Jesus described it. Jesus has complete foreknowledge of everything that's going to happen. He knows exactly where this coat will be. He knows exactly how it will be when it, he finds it tied up. He knows its history that no one has ever ridden on it. He even knows what's going to be required to borrow it. And when the two disciples are questioned in verse 33, they reply as Jesus told them in verse, 40, uh, verse 34, and all goes according to plan. Notice that they didn't ask for permission to take the donkey. They just gave an explanation. The Lord has need of it. Such is the authority that they have in his name that no one questions them. Jesus is a king in control. So much so, in fact, that he's even able to take an unridden baby donkey and ride it through masses of people. Now, a lesser known fact about me is that uh, at the age of 10, I became the proud owner of a donkey. Uh, <laughs> not, not like a donkey in a sanctuary, you know, like a real donkey. I, I lived in a farm and mum and dad, they decided for my 10th birthday to get me a donkey called Scruff. Uh, and she's alive and well today. She's welcomed two more donkeys into the world since then. But I remember um, the first time that I ever tried to ride Scruff the donkey to break in this unridden donkey. And let me tell you, it was, it's not a task for the faint-hearted. It, it felt like a human game of buckaroo, if you've ever played that. Trying to ride a donkey that's not been broken in is a really tall order. It really is. And through a huge crowd of people with all that noise, you can imagine that going disastrously. And I think this is something that we can miss kind of in the familiarity of this story, the details like this of just how incredible Jesus' control is, that he is able to take an unridden colt and to have complete control over it, to do what he wants with it. In all this, Luke is showing us something really incredible about Jesus and his sovereignty over all the details, both big and small, not just here, but all the way to Jerusalem and to his arrest and his trial to his crucifixion and his death. Jesus is in charge. Many today, as with back then, they might try and paint Jesus as this pretty passive or pathetic figure 
in the events of this week, just a sad victim of a political power struggle. But don't make that mistake. Don't miss what's happening here and throughout this week. Jesus is carrying out a plan, a mission. He's ready to die. His plan is to die, and he wants the whole world to know it. What kind of king do we want? I guess the idea of a king who's in control can be a huge source of comfort to some of us in this room. Because when we really accept that Jesus is sovereign, when we really do trust that he's in control of everything, big and small, all the details, and we know that he is good, I think we can discover a truth about Jesus which gives us wonderful reassurance. And I say that knowing that there are some here in our church family who are facing serious trials and hardships in life right now. Humanly speaking, maybe for you, the future is uncertain, maybe even bleak. But then look at a passage like this, because it shows us that even when we feel out of control, we have a king who is not. Even when the future for us seems uncertain, it's never uncertain to him. Jesus is a king who's in control all the way to the cross and beyond. And so when we face suffering or uncertainty, when we face trials or hardship, when we endure conflict and strife, we can know that Jesus, our king, is in control. And if we trust him, and if we follow him like these two disciples did here, well, we may not be able to get round what lies in our path, but we will get through it. Because Jesus is in charge. I know that this will be a wonderful comfort and reassurance to some of us in the room this morning. <clears throat> but for some of us, of course, the idea of a king who's in control is slightly unnerving, maybe. Slightly unsettling. If we're honest, we don't know if we're really ready to surrender control to Jesus. Because maybe we're not sure if Jesus really is the kind of king that we want in life. But if that's you this morning, I want to ask you a question Consider this, are you really sure that you can do a better job running your life than Jesus can? Are you really confident that, that you can control things better than he can? We like to think that we call the shots in our lives, don't we? But if you've ever sat in a hospital waiting room, or been made redundant, or watched a loved one suffer, you'll know that in those moments, the illusion of our control, it just fades away. Look, has shown us here that Jesus is the one who's in control over all things. Right from, from this moment, all the way through his death and beyond. Jesus is the sovereign king. And secondly, what we see in this passage is the joy of the crowd. But it shows us that, that Jesus ultimately is a king who's misunderstood He's a misunderstood king. Look at verse 35. They brought the donkey to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Now John and Matthew in their gospel accounts, they tell us that others, they, they uh, took palm branches from the trees, and they laid them down in the road with the cloaks. And that's why it's called Palm Sunday. And the palm branches and the cloaks 
They are like the red carpet. If you can imagine like that, the disciples are, are treating Jesus like royalty here. Notice as well something really uh, that you might miss, that, that Jesus doesn't put himself in the quote, the disciples do. They are the ones who, who put him on. In other words, what they're doing is they're making him king. He doesn't assume the position himself, himself, but he does allow them to do it because Jesus, as he approaches the final days of his ministry here on earth, he, he's increasingly happy for his ministry to go public. He wants people to know who he really is. And those who knew the old, they would have understood the significance of this moment and what was happening here. They would have remembered that when David in, in, in 1 Kings 1, he endorsed Solomon as king at that time. He gave instructions that he be carried to his anointing on a mule. When Jehu was anointed king of Israel in 2 Kings 9, people spread their cloaks out on the ground to welcome him. Make no mistake, the disciples here are giving Jesus that same royal treatment. And then in verse 37, Luke widens it out beyond just the disciples. As he was drawn near, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. So it's, it's this huge crowd of people, maybe even thousands. They're gathering on the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem and they're remembering the amazing things that Jesus has done. Back in Luke 7, Jesus spoke of how through his ministry the blind received sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And these crowds have seen it. They've heard of it, and now they're praising God for it. And look what they say, verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The first half of verse 38 is actually a quotation from Psalm 118, verse 26. Look what it says, it's on the screen. Verse, verse 26 says this in Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you, from the house of the Lord. Now, can you, can you spot the difference between Psalm 118 and what the crowds are shouting here in Luke 19? Can you see it? The psalm says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But in Luke 19, the crowds shout, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. See, this psalm, it, it was sung by pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem for the Passover as they remembered the mighty works of the Lord, especially in him rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. And so this, this huge crowd of followers, as they, they sing these words and say them, they are convinced that Jesus is the one that this psalm is talking about. They've remembered the, the words of this psalm, and now they've concluded that Jesus is that king. But... Here's the thing, they've missed something. And it all goes back to that question that I started with. What, what kind of king do we want? You see, the crowd think that Jesus, arriving here in a donkey, is the king who will free them from oppression from Rome and restore the nation of Israel again to its rightful place among the nations. They think he is God's promised Messiah who will bring freedom and prosperity, and strength to the nation of Israel once again. They cut down palm branches. They line the road. 
They spread out their cloaks in front of the donkey. They sing. They're joyful. They're praising God. And they think, finally, right here in Jerusalem, on Passover weeks, of all weeks, the coronation of God's king will happen at the temple. It's all coming together beautifully. History at last is falling into place. So they think. But they've really no idea. Because even though they, they welcome Jesus as if he's going to be crowned as king for a coronation here, they don't realize that he's actually on his way to a crucifixion. Jesus will be lifted up, not on a throne though, but on a Roman cross. He will be given a crown, not of jewels, but one of thorns. And what's more, a few days from now, some of the same people who are in this crowd shouting, blessed is the king, will shout, crucify him. And they'll turn on him to have him killed. Why? Why such a drastic change in just a few days? Well, because in their joy here on Palm Sunday, the crowd have failed to understand what sort of king Jesus Christ has come to be. And it turns out he's not the king they really want. Jesus is a misunderstood king. Do you see what they've missed? They've missed the picture that Jesus is painting by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Yes, a donkey was a kingly mode of transport, but a donkey was also a picture of great humility. And the people have forgotten what the Old Testament scriptures told them about the donkey. Listen to the words of Zechariah 9, 9, prophesying about this time. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What's Zechariah's prophecy telling us here? That a king is coming, righteous and having salvation, but also humble and mounted on a donkey. It's a royal image from the prophet Zechariah, but it's also a really humble image, a really meek image. Now, I told you earlier about trying to break in my pet donkey scruff for a ride one time. Uh, eventually, we did. We were able to do it. Uh, and I would ride on scruff's back sometimes, um, you know, just out in the field as you do <laughs> on a farm. No one here will ever have done that, I'm guessing. But that's what I did sometimes as a, a 10, 11, 12-year-old. Uh, but there was a neighbor up the road from us who, um, they had stables, they had some horses. Uh, and that neighbor would sometimes bring the horse down the road uh, and into one of our fields uh, just for kind of a run around because there wasn't as much space up there uh, around their fields. And uh, I used to sometimes go out on scruff at the same time. Um, but I, I, a few times of having done it, I realized just it made me feel something that, I wasn't sure I liked. I felt a bit inferior, a bit unimpressive as I rode around on scruff because sometimes this, this guy would come up on his horse and I'd be looking up at him and he'd be looking down on me and it was, it was just not, it wasn't very impressive and I didn't know if I really liked it. 
A donkey is pretty unimpressive, isn't it? It's not a very powerful animal. If a king wants to show off their power, then the, the animal of choice is not a donkey, it, it's a horse, isn't it? But here in Luke 19 is a king riding on a donkey because this is a picture of the kind of king Jesus Christ has come to be. A humble king. A gentle king. A servant king. And it turns out for the crowd, as we'll see later on, and for, for the Pharisees, as we see here, this isn't the kind of king they wanted. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to, to Jesus in verse 39, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. It's a damning indictment on the Pharisees here. You see, the Pharisees' hearts were so hard and so stone-like towards Jesus Christ that Jesus says even the actual stones, they have more of a receptiveness towards him. The Pharisees do not want him as their king because the Pharisees do not think they need him as their king. What kind of king do we want? Have you understood what kind of king Jesus has come to be? Because the donkey is a symbol of humility and selfless service. And it tells us that, that the path of the king who sits upon it is downwards first, not upwards. The king has come to go low, to serve his subjects before being served by them. But do you see how to truly understand this, to, to get this, it requires us to humbly accept two things. The first thing is this, it requires us to, to humbly accept our need to be served by him. And the second thing is, it, it requires us to humbly accept our calling to serve like him. Because if we're going to accept Jesus as our king, then we firstly must accept our need to be served by him. If we think we do not need Jesus, if we think that we are all right on our own, if we think even that, that Jesus is a king who's come to simply fit our agenda in life, he, he's come to make our lives on this earth a little bit better, a little bit more comfortable, to help us prosper in the here and now, then we, like the people, we've misunderstood King Jesus. Jesus came to fix a problem. A problem that every single one of us have in this room, me included. It's the problem of our sin. It's the problem of our, our hard and our unreceptive heart towards God. It, it's the problem of our broken relationship with God. Jesus came to fix that problem for us and he did it by serving us through his sacrificial death on the cross. That's what this week is all about. Do you see your need to be served by him? Do you see that you have a problem with sin that you cannot deal with on your own? That you cannot, cannot make right? That you cannot fix before God? If we are going to accept King Jesus, then we firstly must accept our need to be served by him. But secondly, if we have accepted Jesus as our king, then we must accept our calling to humbly serve like him. 
If this is the path of the king, downwards, low, then this will be the path that we walk in following him. A life of humble service, of self-sacrificial love. And if truth be, be told, we're not very big on that kind of life, are we? I know I'm not. I crave the exaltation before the humiliation. I want to be served by others rather than to serve others. Because it's a way of life that, that isn't very glamorous, that's quite unimpressive, that leaves us maybe feeling like I did when I looked at that guy on the horse and he looked down on me. But this is the way of the king. This is the way he chooses to give life to those in his kingdom. Humble service. Self-sacrificial love. Imagine what it would look like in our church, in our marriages, or our friendships, in our MCs, in our workplaces. Imagine what it would look like if we were to adopt the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ in this way. Philippians 2, a kind of servant-hearted attitude taking on the mind of Christ in those contexts. Imagine what God could do with that. Jesus, the sovereign king. Jesus, the misunderstood king. And finally in this passage, I think Luke shows us Jesus, the unrecognized king. He is a king who is not recognized. We're going to look in our Holy Week Zoom devotionals. We're going to look at verse 41 to verse 44 tomorrow in more detail. But look with me at verse 41. Let me read what it says. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, he's speaking to Jerusalem, God's people there, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. The Jewish people, they wanted peace. They prayed for peace. They waited for peace. They longed for peace. But if only they knew where to find it. In Luke 2, you might remember, we looked at this a few months ago when we were studying the book of Luke. Jesus, the baby, is presented at the temple. And Simeon, this righteous man, he praised God as he held the baby Jesus in his arms, saying, my eyes have seen your salvation. But here in Luke 19, Jesus weeps on his way to the temple because in Jerusalem, in the city of God's people, this salvation this peace is hidden from their eyes. And so to them, Jesus is the unrecognized king. But what is true of the nation of Israel is true of all humanity. Because so many people in this city, here in Belfast, want peace. They long for peace. They might even pray for peace at times. The people we work with they long for it as well. The people we live on streets with, they look for it too. This kind of fulfillment, this sense of being guilt-free, of being forgiven, but yet they refuse to recognize the one who gives all those things and more. And so the peace that Jesus offers is hidden from our eyes. Now Jesus could, of course, he could just shrug his shoulders and say, you know, I'm just one of a number of options here. If you don't want to recognize me, that's fine. There are many other paths that you could take to enlightenment. 
There are many other lifestyle choices of faith uh, which you can make, which give you some degree of peace, uh, some degree of purpose in life. That's how many people in our city would think. But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? Look what he does. Look what he does in verse 43. He weeps. Why does he weep? Because he knows that he is the only way of salvation. He is the only way to find true and lasting peace. There is no other option for people. And so he weeps because he knows that to reject him is to face God's judgment, to stay on the outside forever. So look how he cries out in verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He's describing here a time in the future, again, showing his sovereignty, his control over all things. He's describing a time in in AD 70 when Jerusalem would fall to the Romans. It's a key moment in the Jewish history. God's judgment on the nation of his Messiah is imminent. Its time has come and Jesus weeps because he knows how awful it will be for them. And it's all because, as he says in verse 44, they did not know the time of their visitation. Or another version puts it like this. They did not recognize the time of God's coming. What kind of king do we want? Jesus is the king who promises true peace, lasting peace, because he is the only one who can bring peace between us and God. He is the only king who can offer forgiveness from everything that we're guilty of in life. He is the only king who can give us the life that that we all really want, the life that we were meant to have, life in all of its fullness. He is the king, the only king who can take away all of our fears for the future because he promises to keep us in this life and to carry us through death with him into the next. But for that peace to become ours, we must recognize him and accept him as our king. Not on our terms, but on his. And if you've not done that, and if you're maybe still thinking about that, Please leave this morning with that image of Jesus Christ weeping over Jerusalem. Because he knows that the window of opportunity for this people who have heard enough, who should know by now who Jesus Christ really is, he knows that the window of opportunity is finally closing. The opportunity to turn to him and to trust in him for salvation does not last forever. It did not for Jerusalem and it won't for us either. Can I plead with you this week, this holy week, as you you join us each evening, as we come towards Friday in the cross, seriously consider Jesus and what his life, his death and his resurrection might mean for you. 
I pray that God would open your eyes to recognize that Jesus is the king who came and did all of this for you, to save you. What kind of king do we want? We've been shown here in Luke's gospel this morning a king who is in complete control. Even over the smallest of details, even over the events that will lead him to his death. We've been shown a king who is often misunderstood. Misunderstood because his crowning moment wasn't to be lifted up on a throne, but it was to be lifted up to die on a cross. And we've been shown a king who often goes unrecognized, unrecognized by a people who want peace, who need forgiveness, who long for hope in life, but they refuse to see that Jesus is the only one who can give it to them. But if you can see that this morning, if you can see Jesus for who he really is, if God in his grace has opened your eyes, eyes that were once blind, to see Jesus Christ, to see his glory, to see his goodness, then he's no longer a king that's hidden from you. But he is your king. If you'll trust him, knowing he's in control, if you will follow him in sacrifice and service, if you will turn to him to experience God's salvation and not judgment, then he is your king. And if that is true, then that is the reason above all others to journey through this week with a deepening sense of gratitude and joy for all that he has done. Would you stand with me and let me pray for us? God, we thank you for your salvation. God, we thank you that that this is really good news for people who are sinners like us, for people who are suffering like us. Really good news because the thing that we long for, the peace that we're after, the forgiveness that we really would love to have, the sense of purpose in life that we crave, all of that is given to us through Jesus Christ, the one who came to save us. That is good news great news Father you're so merciful to us we're so undeserving of this but as your people we we come to you this morning as those who who have uh, had their eyes graciously opened by you to see Jesus Christ and his glory and his kindness and compassion his love for us we come to you this morning and we just want to thank you we want to praise you Without you, we would be lost. But with you, we are safe and secure forever. Enveloped in your loving embrace. May we remember that today. May that be a source of comfort to us, Lord. Maybe as we go through challenging circumstances in life, may we we know that, that you're a God who's in control and that you're a God who is good and has our best, our best interests at heart. This week shows us that. It reveals that to us. We thank you for the gospel. And if anyone, Lord, if anyone has not yet turned to Jesus Christ and seen him as the king who offers peace, I pray that today that they would. Today would be the day of salvation. They would turn to you. 
They would ask for forgiveness, knowing that in Jesus, they are forgiven because of what he has done. He's paid the price. His death on the cross cancels all of our debts. Lord, we thank you because you're good and you're gracious. And we pray that as we journey through this week, Lord, you would give us that that deepening sense of just love and gratitude to you. Because Jesus Christ is our King, the one who came for us. Pray these things in his name. Amen.